Hi, everyone. Welcome to Lessons in Leadership. Steve Adubato, my colleague, Mary Gamba. We kick off the program. We are honored to be joined by our good friend, Carolyn Welsh, who is president and CEO of the New Jersey Sharing Network. Good to see you, Carolyn. Hi, Steve. Hi, Mary. Hello. Karen, Mary, come on, some energy. Well, will you? you wonder what's so funny. I, I was, I, I paused for a second because I went to call her Caroline because we have. This is the funniest thing. We have a Caroline on our team, and we have a Carolyn on our team, and then we have you, Carolyn Welsh, on our team as well as a board member. So and, we have so many Carolyns yeah. and Carolines in our lives. Now that you know everything about the way we work and how many people are, have names similar. Uh, by the way, uh, Carolyn is also a trustee of the Caucus Educational Corporation. We're longtime partners with the New Jersey Sharing Network. As we put up the website, and I guess, what's that QR code? Is it to Mary? Is there a QR yeah, code? Yeah, no, we will put that up as well. So people can zap it with their phone and then they can go to find out more information about organ and tissue donation or uh, contributing to the great work of the NJ Sharing Network. So we'll be putting that up on screen as well. So, Carolyn, the Sharing Network is the official what in New Jersey as it relates to organ and tissue donation? New Jersey Sharing Network is the organ procurement organization designated for the majority of New Jersey to serve the constituents waiting for a life-saving transplant. Mm. Where are we today going into 2024 when this program will be seen? Where are we today with the number of people waiting for an organ? So in New Jersey alone, there's approximately 4,000 people waiting for a life-saving organ transplant. 4,000. Go to the website, not the website, the hashtag, because this, this got my attention. Donation needs diversity. Of the 4,000, a disproportionate number of, them, number of them are black or brown. Yes. So 67% of people waiting in New Jersey are people of color that need a life-saving organ transplant. Carolyn, why are those numbers disproportionate to the population? So a lot of things go into, you know, disease process and what puts people in need of an organ transplant. So some of that is definitely genetic and, and reasons why that there would be a disproportion. Hmm. Before Mary jumps in, I want to bring this back to leadership. So for you as a leader, and you, we've talked about leadership a lot, but I'm curious about this. The biggest change or improvement, if you will, on your part as a leader in the last couple of years, you know, taking over Joe Roth, extraordinary job as the leader of uh, the Sharing Network, um, succeeding Joe. For you in the last couple of years, your biggest area of growth as a leader is? Uh, I think uh, patience is, is is probably something that's rough for me. <laughs> we don't know anything about that, do we, Steve? <laughs> Uh, that's how we get along, right? So New Jersey, right? It is just fast pace of, of life. Everything we do is fast. So I think an important role and change for me becoming president and CEO and, and leadership that I've really focused and worked on is patience uh, and listening. Love it. Mary, I, I, I'm not that good at either one of those. Go ahead, Mary. Yeah, in. no, that's okay. We're, we're all in work, work in progress, that's for sure. And as president and CEO, Carolyn, I would love to talk a little bit about developing your people. Obviously, you're a woman leader. You're developing uh, women and men on your team. Talk about your approach to developing people at the New Jersey Sharing Network. Sure. So I'll be celebrating my 25th anniversary in March of being here. So it's, it's, it's not new in that aspect, but it, coming into this role, and, and leading the team and developing people, we really focused in the last 18 months, two years to promote within, uh, understanding our industry and understanding our state and understanding the people we serve is very important. And I, I take pride in really knowing something personally about each person that works here. We have over 200 employees, so it's not even just the leaders that I think 
that my focus is developed on every person that does this work, chooses this work, because it is sacrifice in your life to give up your own family time, personal time to dedicate yourself to this work. But developing people, not only in their work, but in their life is very important to me. I, I feel that developing them as people helps them to be able to do this work with passion and dedication and a sense of urgency. Quick follow up on that, Carolyn. So if someone says, come on, business leadership in business, leadership in a not-for-profit organization, be it yours or ours, the Caucus Educational Corporation, or even what we're doing now. Come on, it's not personal. It's just business. You say what to that? Without curse words from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we love you. I want to have you on every single episode. <laughs> we'll say BS. Um, BS. It's, it's, just, it's BS. It's not BS. true. It, we're in a different world right now. And by looking at what motivates people, what energizes them, what refuels them. Um, resilience is a big word that, you know, now in leadership that's coming out. And, and organ procurement organizations right now going into 2024, we're, we're sustaining changes to our regulatory um, measurements, which, listen, we all want to save more people's lives. So if, if those components are going to make us better, we're going we're gonna to do everything we can to do that. But to be resilient, and you have to know your people. If you don't know them, you cannot help them when they need the help. You have to recognize when they're off their game um, and, and work when they're off their game, people's lives are at stake. So you have to kind of know what's going on with them personally and just the world around us, you know, um, not to go into all of the different things about, but anything that's happening in our world affects the people that work here. And, you know, what is their religion? What is, what is their race? Wow. What is, what is their gender? Uh, what are their belief systems? What motivates them to want to do this work? I, I have a good memory. So I also can tell you that majority of the people I was in their interviews and in the room with them. And I really try to do that connection. It helps you when you're doing this life-saving work to connect with people on a personal level. So BS is the, is the long-winded <laughs> answer. Mary, you get, get I, I was going to say, I have one yeah, other question. Yeah, I was going to say one other question because I do feel that there is then that link between that connection, but also trust. And we're not just talking about trust on our team, but you're telling these families when you go in and, and one of their family members, unfortunately, is dealing with end of life. You need to get the trust of those family members if that if that family member hasn't already don't made that decision for them. Talk about the importance of trust in the process. Yes, I think uh, you 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 hit it spot on. One of our strategic anchors is is uh, obtaining the public trust and maintaining that. And part of that is you know start with who works here. If if we build trust there, they need to then go out and build trust with the community. So we have community specialists. We have education professionals that are out in the field talking proactively about organ and tissue donation and building that trust in the medical community and knowing at the time of someone's you know unfortunate passing that this opportunity doesn't get asked to every person. It's less than 1% of people that die in a hospital that will get asked if they would like to be have their person be an organ donor. We don't have the opportunity to, to, to get it right the next time. So building trust has to be quick. It has to be genuine. And, and if you're not genuine with your people here, how can I expect them to be genuine in the public when they're talking to people at, you know, the worst time that someone could be faced with a question? As Carolyn Wells, talk about a genuine leader who cares and makes a difference every day with her team at the New Jersey Sharing Network. Our good friend Carolyn Welsh, the trustee of the Caucus Educational Corporation, our not-for-profit entity. Carolyn, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You got it. We'll be right back. 
This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Pregrametis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, the Helix, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, Fedway Associates Inc., Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, Veolia, resourcing the world, Choose New Jersey, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine, and the Meadowlands Chamber and Meadowlands Media. Construction companies work at the heart of our communities. So do the operating engineers of Local 825, who build our roads and bridges and ensure the safe transmission of energy that keeps us on the move. Local 825 works with contractors as partners in quality, safety, and training. Our achievements stand as monuments to collaboration that will last for generations. This message has been brought to you by the members of Operating Engineers Local 825. Better building begins here. Most people don't think about where their water comes from, but we do. Veolia. More than water. Resourcing the world. Lessons in Leadership would like to thank our newest sponsors who make our programming possible, including the Helix, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, and the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. Welcome back to Lessons in Leadership. Mary, I don't want this to turn into a full-blown promotional segment about uh, the new book, the graphic, Sylvester put the graphic up, Lessons in Leadership 2.0, the tough stuff, right? But let's make it substantive and promotional at the same time. I was uh, gonna say, I kinda wanna make it, well, promotional in that we are promoting the lessons from the book. It's not about promoting the book, yes. If anybody is watching this, they can go to our website that's gonna come up right now, stand-deliver.com or go to amazon.com to purchase the book. But we are promoting all of the lessons that we have learned not only writing this book, but also within the chapters of the book itself. Yeah, but here's the thing. I know that I have the answer, but do you have the answer? Oh, I so I wrote so. Lessons in Leadership in 2016, I think. Pretty mm -hmm. sure 2016. Yep. So why the heck, and I, this is exactly what Mary asked me when I, I think it was three, three and a half years ago, I started the conversation. Hey, Mary, you know that Lessons in Leadership book that I wrote in 2016? What about if... I wrote a follow-up to it and gave it a really creative name, like Lessons in Leadership 2.0, the tough stuff. <laughs> I know why I wanted to do it, but you were not all in from the beginning. Fair? I, I was not. I was all in, just to be extremely clear, I was all in with the need to write the new book. That there is, right now that this book is finished and published and done and great, we could probably write another book tomorrow and we're not going to, but we could because leadership is constantly evolving. But the reason why, let's face it, that this came up was right at the beginning of the pandemic. We realized that there were so many, we even toyed around, if you remember, with names about from lessons from COVID and beyond, lessons yeah. from the pandemic and beyond. 
And then it hit us. These lessons are about anything. It could be any conflict. It could be any challenging situation. It could be any opportunity. So we didn't want to put ourselves into that little bucket. So that's why we got creative with this title and also even got more creative with the subjects that we covered inside the book, which I'm really excited to talk. I feel like it's Christmas morning right now. Like I'm so excited to talk about the book because it's done. It's really exciting. And P.S., there's a hardcover copy. Uh, uh, I got my paperback copies all marked up. Mary, throw, go ahead. You ready for this? Throw a chapter in the table of contents. Yep. I don't even know if you can see that. Throw a chapter at me, and mm -hmm. I'll give you uh, some nuggets from the chapter. I, I, have my, I, I have my piece of paper. I do have my book here as well. And, um, but I'm going to start with why leaders must artfully confront. So I'm throwing you the ball, and then please throw it back to me when you're ready. That's what you, Hold on. You want to start? With confrontation? I okay. do. Well, and right. can I just say why? Because we have time. We, we by design, I by design, as the executive producer and co-host of the show, left us a lot of time to take a deep dive. Why? Okay. We have a lot of great guests on this program, which is fantastic. But there are some really great nuggets, leadership and communication nuggets. I love all your props that we can get out of this book. But all of our clients, almost, I would say 99.9% .9 of the clients that we coach within our one-on-one -on -one and group coaching have a hard time confronting difficult situations. Yep. And that's why I think it's so important to start with that because it's also good right. for everyone. All right, so you want me to talk about it? Yeah, that's, I thought, I mean, I can, but I thought you'd start and then I'll go. You go, I go. We need to confront, what? Steve wrote a book about being confrontational and argumentative? No. The chapter called We Must Artfully Confront says, hmm, Let's have honest discussions about situations and circumstances that are not okay. So what does it mean to confront? I'll give you a ridiculous example. Elvin, Elvin is on right now with Frank and, and the whole team and Scarlin's behind the camera here. Um, but I confronted the reality. Confront it means deal with. Mm -hmm. Confront to me is a euphemism for deal with it. I didn't like that my head was so close to the top of the frame and I confronted the situation and said, why the heck is my head coming out of the frame? The team, to their credit, particularly Elvin and Scarlin, confronted that reality and said, how do we deal with it? And they built a bigger set. Now, here's why it's relevant. You ever notice how often people don't confront situation? Oh, well, just let it go. It's not that big a deal. They don't confront perform poor performance issues on people uh, for people on the team. They don't confront situations or the look of a show or whatever it is that really doesn't make sense, that could and should be better. Confront means deal directly with them. We coach people like, oh, I'm uncomfortable with that. Well, here's what I say. Life begins at the end of your comfort zone, otherwise mm -hmm. known as get comfortable being uncomfortable. You can't be a great leader if you don't have honest, difficult conversations that, yes, confront people about situations. That does not mean arguing, Mary. It does not mean banging your fist. It means being real. I don't know mm -hmm. why people have such a hard time with it. I guess because in my family, we confronted everything. <laughs> Whether they needed to or not, they confronted it. And I've had to dial it back just a bit. Go ahead, Mary. Yeah, no. And to your credit, Steve, you have. We have had many of offline conversations and conversations right here on Lessons in Leadership talking about just how much you've grown as a leader and in confronting in an artful way. And you and I joked when we were even naming this chapter. Oh, yeah, why do you not like artful? You said uh, well, it goes with the, when you say with all due respect before it, it, you think that if you put it before whatever it is that you're about to say, that it's going to make it okay, whatever comes later with all due respect. And it's like, well, no, because what you're about to say is probably going to be hurtful, but I don't want to go off Mary, on that tangent. 
hold on. Are you? I'm going I'm to do another chapter here in a second. But are you saying there's only one form of confrontation and it's all bad? Or are you saying no. when I say artful, I'm saying yeah. with dignity, with respect, with and, compassion, and empathy. Go ahead. And and here's where listening comes in. And I'm going to share right now that perspective, because I do like the fact that we put artful in front of it. Why? Because you need to, when you do need to confront a situation, and it could be a situation you're not confronting the person. Let's just make sure we clarify that. You are literally confronting the situation, the thing that went wrong, the thing that could have been done better. But you want to make sure that you keep in mind who it is that you're talking to. And that's where the artful. You need to be artful in how you confront it. Some people just want to have, like me, I always tell you, Steve, don't don't sugarcoat it. Just tell me how it is so we can fix it and move on. Other people need some sugar. Other people need a heck of a lot of sugarcoating right, and then extra icing. Let me confront this, Mary. Yeah. I spent too much time on that chapter. Let me confront this because you've got more chapters. Let's go. I do. A minute. I do. But what do you got? I got, okay, don't sweat the Q&A. I think this is a good one because a Q&A is not just at in the office. It could be at the dinner table. You always share that story about when Stephen got in the back seat and you said, how was your day, son? And he said, fine. And then you change the Q&A to get more open-ended questions. So oh, yes. a little bit different. That, that There's a little bit uh, different uh, approach there because that's the art of asking questions. And, no, and but it, it, my, okay, you go, go ahead. ahead. No, you well, go. What I was going to say is you need to ask and again, in our previous book, Lessons in Leadership, there's a chapter on asking questions, mm -hmm. and you have to do it in an open-ended way that gets people talking. And she's talking about my older son, Stephen, who was six years old, and I got him talking because I stopped asking how was school, everything's fine, great, fine. And I was like, that's a ridiculous question. But this is the difference with the Q&A. The Q&A is for a leader who's in a pressure-filled situation, could be in the media, could be in a press conference, could be before your board of directors, could be before your staff, whomever. And you're getting asked tough questions and, and people we coach are freaking out. Oh, my God, what if they ask me this? My response is this. If you believe in what you're doing and even if you've made a mistake and you're willing to acknowledge the mistake and say what you learned from it, don't sweat the Q&A because it's an opportunity to show how strong you are as yeah. leader. Not perfect. And I was going to get to that, by the way. I obviously know what the chapter is about because you dictated the chapter to me and we use it in our seminars. So, but I was just going to say on the part of Stephen, though, he was not sweating the Q&A then because then he was more prepared for those questions, right? Because if you don't phrase the questions correctly, it could be perceived as an interrogation. So, you don't want to, you want to be prepared for the way that you're going to ask the questions. You want to be prepared for the questions you're going to be asked is just my point. Got it. Next one. Yes. Uh, Hub and Spokes. And I know we've done one of our mini seminars. If you'd like to check out some of, uh, Steve and I have done a lot of what we're calling mini seminars, where you can go to our website, stand-deliver.com. It's coming right up on screen. And you can go and learn some of these tips and tools. And this is all about the Hub and Spokes. And Steve, you want to talk about what that bicycle yep. hub looks like? So the hub and spokes is just another, and hopefully we'll put up a goofy graphic that just mm -hmm. shows a circle. That's the hub. And then the spokes, it's, imagine it's a bicycle tire. And what does it mean? I kept thinking our business, whether it's our company, Stand and Deliver, or our not-for-profit production company, the Caucus Educational Corporation, three quarters of our success beyond the fact that we try to do this well is our relationships. Well, what do you mean? So the hub and spokes is what I like to call a strategic relationship building model. So you're the hub. So Mary's the hub. Who are the spokes? The spokes are the key relationship she has with her colleagues, with family members, with all kinds of people in her orbit. For, uh, for me, three quarters, of, uh, three quarters of the spokes in my world are sponsors and underwriters of our programming. So 
my relationship, our, Mary works on this with me shoulder to shoulder, our relationship with those sponsors and underwriters, letting them know how much we appreciate their support, give them value for their investment in us and pay attention to them. It's not organic. It's not, it'll just happen. You have to be intentional, strategic, and consistent because those relationships are the key to getting things done. That's Hub and Spoke's strategic relationship building. Next, what do you got? You got I'm it. Well, and if you're go. just joining us and you wonder why Steve are going, Steve and I are talking about, Steve has a new book. And so you can go to stand-deliver.com and we're talking about some of the key chapter themes within the book. The next one is feedback is a funny thing. And I bring that up because as Steve and I were writing this book together, literally I would give him feedback. Steve, this is really great, but we're kind of going off on a tangent this way. Or Steve, how about if we try it that way? Or as I said, we pivoted at the beginning and we were really going to make a huge focus of the book on just COVID. And we said, no, all of these are tips and tools that are good for anything. So Steve, talk a little bit about feedback. Why is feedback so hard? First of all, it's not complicated. We all love to get praise. Mary keeps saying she doesn't need much. I debate that. That being said. <laughs> you keep debating it, but it, I, I would tell you if I needed it. If I never got another compliment in my entire life, I don't need it. I just okay. don't. I, I don't know. My empathy button's broken or something. Uh, no, it's not. So here it is. <laughs> feedback. The feedback we like is, oh, April's over here right now. And Scarlett, oh, that was great. You're terrific. The, April's our makeup artist. Oh, April, my makeup looks great. Scarlett, the camera. Oh, Elvin, great job. Frank Brown on audio. You're terrific. Everyone wants that feedback. The feedback I'm talking about when I say it's a funny thing is feedback that is candid and you're dealing with something that's not what you want, not what it needs to be, something other than you're amazing. That was great. It's a funny thing, not funny, haha, but funny, odd, because A, we resist it naturally. We defend ourselves. My wife and I have this conversation all the time. She calls it, why don't you just say it's criticism? You know, you're being critical. I said, Jen, I'm giving feedback. She goes, what's the difference? I don't want to play word games, but feedback has to be given to team members. For a leader, we have to not only give it honestly, but receive it honestly. So here's the point of that chapter. If you're not willing to give candid, honest feedback to team members about performance issues, whatever, you can't succeed as a great leader. If you're not willing, and I've said this a million times to Elvin, our director, Elvin gave me feedback, and people are tired of hearing this. I didn't like when Elvin said to me, pretty much your attitude was crappy that day. It didn't help the production, and, and I pushed back, and I was nasty and argumentative. So I get it. I'm a hypocrite in this way. But I needed Elvin to be the leader he is, not just as a director, but as a colleague who, goes, who says to me, not okay. Not okay. All I'm saying is most people have a hard time giving it, and receiving it, but feedback is critical. Next up in the table of contents, in Lessons in Leadership 2.0. I love this, I love stuff. this. Go I wanna do this all day. So let's do strategic micromanagement because there we, we talk about delegating. So I wanna hear from you, Steve, a little bit more because on the one hand, we're saying, all right, as leaders, we need to delegate more. We need to you know, get things off our plate. We need to build other leaders up. We need to show that we trust them and we value their contribution. But then we say that we also, you know, the micromanaging thing, right? So where does strategic micromanagement overlap or does it overlap with delegating? Let's talk about strategic micromanagement. I've come to the realization that a lot of people in the so-called leadership space, those of us who write about it, research it, think about it, they keep saying leadership 
and management aren't the same thing. So uh, in the classic definition or the distinction is leadership is about doing the right thing. And management is about getting things done. What? And I started to realize that in reality, to be a great leader, in my view, mm -hmm. at times, in certain circumstances, Mary, think about this for a second. I'm the CEO of the company, of to a production company in this company. Wasn't I strategically micromanaging when I talked about it before? Don't I strategically micromanage the look of the show, how I look on the show, how the show looks, what the graphics look like, not yes, sir. what the marketing of our programming looks like, all those things. As a leader, in my view, and this isn't, oh, look at what I'm doing. I'm saying sometimes if you don't manage the details, that doesn't mean doing everybody's job, Mary, because mm -hmm. I can't. I don't know how to run the camera. I don't know a lot of other things that go on. But you have to get into the weeds and get your hands dirty sometimes. And it doesn't mean you're not a good leader because you have to look at the big picture, be a visionary, and get in the weeds and manage sometimes. Go ahead. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And that also lets somebody on your team know that you care. So I do think that's important. Uh, let's go on to the next one. And is everyone really a leader? You and I have debated about this and I was laughing. I went back to Steve, remember when we used to sit in a room and it was just an audio podcast and we had our headphones on and, and we talked <laughs> then and, and I and I, I joke because that was probably I don't I'll have to guess 12 years ago, 10 years. I don't even know. However many years ago. And I said at that point, no, Steve, you don't need everyone to be a leader. You need doers. And oh my gosh, have I, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm almost 50. I'm turning 50 next the year. Audience. Again? Yep, Did you read the that? chapter? Did you read that chapter on and is everyone a leader? Because you're quoted extensively in it. Of, what do you mean that I read? No, <laughs> did you read it? No, no. Mary, I listen, I the, I didn't see the book for almost nine or ten months when I went back and read it. Yeah. I read it last night again, that chapter, because I knew we'd yep. talk about it. You remember what you said? You said, no, we need doers. What's this mm -hmm. thing about leadership, Steve? It's over. Not everyone has to be a leader. You're ridiculous. Yeah. You were saying you're ridiculous. Now mm -hmm. what, Mary? And now I changed my mind and you're allowed to change your mind and you can grow and evolve and everyone needs to be a leader. Even if you're a five-year-old, you still need to be a leader. You need to get up. You need to put your socks on and, and you know, brush your teeth. And all of that is leadership. I was seeing leadership in a very linear fashion that you need that person that's going to give the direction I, I do still kind of feel that way in, in terms of just true, uh, you need that big picture visionary, but then everyone needs to be a leader in their own right. Um, and well, that's- Scarlett's Scar being a leader and telling me, what, what do I need to move? Books. All the books. Th this, we're promoting the book. Now you want me to move it. Okay. <laughs> By the way, Scarlett decided to be a leader at that moment. Oh, I see. Because okay. the little flap's coming up. Now that is yeah, eagle eye. Right. Oh my gosh, Steve, we Thank only have you. a minute left. Okay. But, but, but Elvin's got it. Scarlett's got it right. Yeah. The kind of leadership we're talking about is not you're the CEO, you're the top, whatever the heck that means. It's taking the initiative to say, hey, wait a minute, let's do this differently. I looked at this and it could be better. I have a different idea for that, a different approach. That's a big part of leadership. That's what we mean. Everyone has to be that kind of leader. P.S. On a great, high performing, excellent team, not a crappy, mediocre team on a mediocre team. I guess you can wait for the leader to tell everyone what to do. To be a great team in a competitive environment, everyone's got to be, be a leader in some way, in certain circumstances, to be the best. That's it. That's Lessons it. 2.0, the really tough stuff. Right, Mary? It's a really tough stuff. Check out stand-deliver.com, and you can learn a heck of a lot more. Thanks for watching.
And yeah, and by the way, Mary said we're writing a new book soon. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> this edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, the Helix, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, Fedway Associates Inc., Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, Veolia, resourcing the world, Choose New Jersey, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ and Commerce Magazine, and the Meadowlands Chamber and Meadowlands Media. Construction companies work at the heart of our communities. So do the operating engineers of Local 825, who build our roads and bridges and ensure the safe transmission of energy that keeps us on the move. Local 825 works with contractors as partners in quality, safety, and training. Our achievements stand as monuments to collaboration that will last for generations. This message has been brought to you by the members of Operating Engineers Local 825. Better building begins here.